Consider the plight of the satirist. The plight of the satirist, such as it is, is a compulsion to look at the grimmest, most important thing they can think of, and then for reasons that probably wouldn't survive a really good therapist, try to make it funny. To try to address the iniquities of their society, the satirist must manufacture some hope that what they're doing might make a difference, then type it all up and send it off somewhere before they remember that it never does. Well, that is very astute of you, Adam. Well, those are not my words, but the words of the man The Guardian described as Britain's most savage satirist in their introduction to this article by him, Frankie Boyle. Yeah, that's right, and I actually did know that um, all along. It's Frankie Boyle, whom you may remember from such controversies as his 2012 observation, which sought to address the iniquities of society by commenting that swimmer Rebecca Adlington has, quote, a dolphin's face, and his even more distasteful comments about Katie Price and her son in 2011. And from Mock the Week, which is a show in which male celebrities, if you haven't seen it, compete to see who can talk over women the most. And Frankie Boyle now tends to focus more on talking about left-wing things than being unpleasant about women on Tramadol nights, and that's probably a good thing. Nonetheless, both the examples I just gave of Britain's most savage satirist, Frankie Boyle's less well-received satire, were directed at women. Now, obviously it's not really a savage satirical act to say that you don't find a woman attractive, but satire that's directed at women and women celebrities is going to be a big part of what we're talking about today. Yes, today on Smith & Wall Talk About Satire, we're talking about satire and celebrity. As you might remember, we are two lecturers. I'm a lecturer in 18th century literature. Joe is a lecturer in 19th century literature. And in this podcast, we talk about how satire works, what it is, and whether it's dead yet, as part of our ongoing project, which is called Satire, Births, Deaths and Legacies. And today, we're going to be joined in a little while by scholars Katie Snow and Gronje O'Hare, who are going to help us consider the relationships between satire and celebrity, and women who perform satire and women who get satirised. Both Katie and Gronje work on um, these kinds of questions in the 18th century, so perhaps we could start by having a think about where satire is and where celebrity is in that period. Adam, do you want to um, have a think about that that we can hear? I'm happy to have a little think about yeah. that. Well, I think that the idea of celebrity is quite prominent, actually, in, in this particular literary and historical period of the 18th century. I mean, the 18th century is many things. It's, it's often described as many things. It's the, the, age of, the great age of print, the great age of satire and in many ways the age of celebrity because of this explosion of, of cheap print at the start of the 18th century we have the emergence in many ways of a recognizable popular culture uh, which was accessible by an increasing number of people and also more and more people were able to contribute to it and this was a source of tremendous anxiety from you know by, by people like Alexander Pope who looked back to a, a slightly more well a more elite time a more classical model of culture and literature where what was good was determined by its pedigree so you know something like Ovid or Horace um, but also what was what was found to be good by uh, the palaces by the courtiers by by the most privileged in society but being able to buy cheap print from a shop on the street meant that meant that more and more people could could access things and the things that people bought were the things that got made so that leads to a, a popular culture more like the one we have today um, Pope's anxious about that because he, he's worried that we're going to move away from Horace and Ovid and move towards a society where all anyone wants to consume is is gossip or scandal or uh, you know, cheap cheap thrills or bawdy humour and and as part and parcel of that we have the emergence of celebrity because scandal and gossip means that certain people become characters and can be talked about and uh, and again, from Pope's perspective, people are wanting to consume gossip about these individuals instead of wanting to consume things like classical literature. And also, 
it's worth mentioning that Pope is one of the first literary celebrities himself. Uh, by by satirising and criticising these these early celebrities, he makes himself very popular through his dunciad and such. Is he, is he basically the same thing as Frankie Boyle, or a different thing? Do you think? Um, I think Frankie Boyle probably wishes he was Alexander Pope. I mean, Alexander Pope w- was yeah. I mean, he, he may have given early celebrities a hard time, but he also was a fantastic polymath and a translator of languages and and a and a and a, a, a famed poet. I mean, once you take away the spleen, I'm not really sure what Frankie Boyle's got left other than a, a set of broad liberal signifiers and a body. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but there is a commonality there. I think in in the kind in the kinds of attack and the kinds of particularly the kinds of target as well. Mm. So Pope is Pope is attacking and satirising people who, for the most part, he, I, I my reading, I, I think he doesn't consider to be worthy of the attention or the fame for, for whatever reason. Sometimes those are political. He doesn't think that people in, in the opposing political party are on the same level as, as his fellow Tory writers. Um, he doesn't think, you know, if there's people who are famous for, for just who they are, fame for, famous for being famous, mm. he wants to take them down. And also, if women get famous, he seems quite, seems quite keen to. Dolphins faces and things like that. Because that that could be a line or from. Better. Yeah, better I mean, yeah, that. better, better, but better also worse <laughs> things than that. Um, and I mean, and part of his, I mean, for for Pope and not just Pope, but other other early eighteenth century satirists, the question of celebrity speaks to all sorts of anxieties over excess and also um, questions of authenticity and sincerity and in their mind at least and and the idea that uh, people are performing something that they're not and, and unfortunately in a lot of the satirical poetry and writing of the 18th century uh, those debates take a writ upon the body of the woman it's right. the women are seen as representing this falsity or this inauthenticity or this excess um, and there's a lot of like really really grim early 18th century satire which is all about oftentimes quite literally taking people taking women to pieces in in grotesque and scatological ways so which which women in particular any any of any them women, any woman them. prepared to right, no, okay. no 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 that's, that's not that's not fair but it is also to an extent a bit famous example would be uh lady mary montague who finds herself i think in a bit of a double bind when it comes to or finds herself in pope's crosshairs for two reasons one she is an established uh, a you know fairly establishment woman um, but also of a Whiggish disposition, so, that's, so she's opposed yeah. to him politically, and also um, for for being an outspoken woman, and also a woman who you know travelled around Europe by herself, disco- like brought the smallpox vaccination back to England, wrote all of these letters that they, they were then published, and was one very I was going to say famous letter, but famous in the very small circles that I circulate, where she talks about the female public sphere that she encounters abroad and wanting to bring that back and have a more participatory culture in England. All things that Pope was anxious about and all yeah. reasons why Pope attacked her, but she gave as good as she got from... It wasn't just Pope, it was like Pope and Swift, and yeah. and she t- quite famously took on Swift uh, in, a, in a poetic exchange. I think I know that poetic you know exchange. That one. Yeah. yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so I presume in his, his satire, he probably said something like, she's got a funny face or something like that. Yeah, or guess oh. what? In yeah. Swift's case, it's like guess what? Uh, women also do shit, yeah. or like you know, women aren't angels, yeah. and therefore must be destroyed for lying to <laughs> us, for propagating this this hateful myth that they are in fact more than human. 
Um, I know shortly we'll talk to um, Gronya in particular, who I know works on Georgiana, Duchess of Devonshire, who who is an interesting figure in this context, isn't she? Because she's such a hugely visible example of kind of 18th century celebrity to the extent that people used to kind of draw parallels between her and Diana, Princess of Wales, who was her a certain amount of times great niece, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think they, they did draw parallels to the extent that I think in the tagline for one of the posters, it was something like, um, there were three people in her marriage. Yeah, I think mark- that's true, yeah. Yeah, so the film was marketed as, this is Princess Di, but in the olden days. Yeah, um, and she also was a political figure whose personal life came in for a lot of attention in her own lifetime. So she also seems like an important figure to think about in terms of 18th century celebrity satire and the place of women in all of this and a very comparable figure to lady mary montague in the fact that you know, she she was a, a a figure in the public eye and a woman and also involved in politics and mm. i mean one of the in discussions of like the evolution of or proto-democracy and democracy in in, in a british context the duchess of is a really important figure because uh, one of the reasons why she was uh, as i understand it so badly caricatured and satirized was because she did endorse political figures so the celebrity endorsement is seen there yeah. in a political context for the first time. Um, That's so many spheres being transgressed, isn't it? Yeah. Celebrities into politics and women into both of those things. So this seems like an appropriate moment to turn to this week's guests. Katie Snow from the University of Exeter, who works on 18th century representations of motherhood and sexuality, and Gronny O'Hare from the University of Newcastle, who works on satire and particularly on the relationship between satirists and the House of Devonshire. Katie, um, you work on satirical prints of 18th century motherhood and breastfeeding and you spoke about some of those prints and images at our satire conference. What do you think was the effect of all of this? Who is Obviously it's being disseminated all over the place so presumably it has a significant reach and it's being read or seen by lots and lots of people. What I'm trying to work out is um, to the extent which women internalised the criticisms as well. Mm. So Going back to Duchess of Devonshire, she was a very obvious target of a number of really um, hateful caricatures um, about her behaviour, sort of politically canvassing. And there's lots of accounts of her reacting to these satires. And she complains that uh, she is targeted even though many women are doing the same as her. And there's evidence of her trying to change her image as a, as a reaction to these satires. I do think it's a, it's a dialogue, and as we're talking about sort of a self-fashioning tool of celebrity, um, they're aware that both positive and negative uh, satires will increase their public image. So it, it actually, in a sense, is doing what, what some satirists have argued satire should do, which is to kind of make people realise their flaws and then do something about it. That is really interesting, because I think in pretty much every example we've looked at so far on the podcast, it seems that satire is trying to enact a change, but doesn't. Um, yeah, Grania, is that something you see as well? Picking up on what Katie was saying about uh, the Duchess of Devonshire kind of being attacked and satirical prints for um, her political canvassing and involvement um, in politics. The thesis chapter that I'm working on at the minute is about um, women who are sort of taking up public space as Methodist preachers and how satire is being used by anti-Methodist media um, to undermine them and, and, you know, make them look as if they're doing something that's very unfeminine and to kind of present Methodism as something that's really very threatening to the social order and 
should be stamped out completely. So it sounds like in both of these case studies, satire has been used to scrutinise and ultimately censor, and I suppose in the long term, silence women. In the 18th century, though. Only in the 18th century. In the 18th century, century yeah. Be, yeah. Or would it? I, don't, I wonder if there are any parallels with society today. This podcast is very much about drawing historical continuities between the past and the present, particularly in the context of satire. We might open by asking Katie and Gronje to think a little bit about potential contemporary resonances with this 18th century work they've been doing. So Gronje, we'll, we'll start with you. When you're working on these 18th century contexts and thinking about celebrity at this time, do you see any contemporary parallels? I mean, I always end up drawing parallels between the 18th century celebrity and Taylor Swift. It's like my go-to kind of because I just think there are so many. I've, dra- I've drawn parallels between loads of stuff with Taylor Swift and like comparing her kind of very elite girl squad to the blue stockings and <laughs> and then like I had one sort of comparison prostitute memoirs and kind of how they prostitutes would use um their own accounts of their lives and their biographical accounts to kind of shape their own public image um and their celebrity i ended up comparing margaret leeson's memoir to taylor swift's reputation album because it was kind of this like i've been treated terribly by the public and Mm. by certain individuals in the public eye and this is going to be me telling you all how it was and get my own back which is which is better taylor swift or jonathan swift <laughs> taylor swift always yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't and... bust a move to save his life <laughs> <laughs> well there's certainly there's certainly no historical evidence to suggest no. for that that he could um looking at satirical prints and sort of satirical poems and everything there's so much to unpick from them and you picking out like oh that line is a reference to this person in the 18th century or this sort of classical reference um, is a dig at this person. Yeah, I mean, satire, whether it's Taylor Swift or Jonathan Swift, often engaging with it and appreciating it and understanding what it's getting at entails a lot of unpacking of intertextual references and allusions, doesn't it? Moving to Katie, you work on motherhood and maternal bodies in the 18th century. What parallels do you see in your work with the culture and society in which we live today? Yeah, there's definitely... Not so much satirical now, but we still have a big fascination with the maternal body. We love to put that in the spotlight and on the front of newspapers and gossip columns and sort of be on bump watch and a breastfeeding watch. And there's still masses of conversation around whether breast is best and whether bottle feeding is dangerous. And that's exactly the same thing that was happening in the mid to late 18th century. And as satirical prints were influencing people or attempting to, now we have platforms like Instagram, which has sort of massive pockets of uh, yummy mummy promoters and quite sort of hippie-ish movements towards renaturalizing the body um, because of the sort of artificial commercialized market world we live in. So that's partly why I embarked on my project, because I see women under the same pressure as they were so many hundreds of years ago. And it's really similar. Do you think then there are lessons that can still be learned in the present day from from the work that you've been doing, Katie? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lesson to be learned of engaging critically with any representation of bodies or identities of gender we see in media, whether it's satire or just sort of slanted journalistic reporting and asking questions like we've been about who is satirising or representing who and why and from what vantage point um, 
and to what effect and figuring out if uh, what we see in the media represents a view you already had or if it's persuading you of something um, or something in between and being mindful of that even if you find something funny um, try and work out which anxieties are behind it and Grania do you have any lessons that you think we can still learn from your material yeah um, the media and satire when they're talking about women who are in a public role whenever we're commentating or satirizing or how much it is fueled by you know anxieties around what women what people think women should be or shouldn't mm. be or um, how much that is still influencing people talk and write about women in the media so it seems like katie and Gronio, you're both saying that what's come out of your research is a sense that in the 18th century and perhaps no less today women are particularly subject to censorship and silencing as we were saying before but it's perhaps also worth thinking about who these satirists are and who are recognized as satirists even today it's men isn't it, it who is, we think of as satirists yeah the the names that we come up with when we think about satirists are, are often men we're on the eye episode sorry to talk over you That's joe okay. uh, woman, woman get yeah. <laughs> get I'm, I'm censured get the out yeah. of the canon no yeah. like even on the <laughs> This is our second episode. The podcast That's has right, only yeah. just come out yeah, a month it's all ago, in order. and so far the suggestions we've had coming in from our from our new fans who appreciate very much it, have been men, yeah, isn't it? Like people true. saying you should get so and so on the podcast, yeah. you should get this guy on the podcast, you get this guy on the podcast, and we keep talking about Stuart Lee, and we've talked about Stuart Lee, yeah, and uh, it takes us back to Frankie Boyle well, almost start as with if Frankie we planned Boyle. it, but we're not inviting him. We should think about the, the way in which satire seems to be presented as a man's game and maybe think about troubling that in future yeah, episodes. It's definitely something to be aware of, so, I think. Thank it? you, Grania yeah. and Katie. I really enjoyed talking about satire to Grania and Katie today, Joe. If you listeners at home would like to talk to Grania and Katie also, you can on well, social media. I mean, they're not talking to them. Follow them. You can follow them and tweet at them. Uh, if you'd like to tweet at Grania, yeah. her handle is at spacedolphin underscore. And if you'd like to tweet at Katie Snow... Hers is at Snow Katie Marie. Yeah, or just follow them. Yeah, you can just follow them. Yeah. And if you'd like to follow us, you can follow us at, at Satire No More yeah. on Twitter. You can find us on SoundCloud, which you've already done, obviously, because we're <laughs> talking to you now. Yeah. Well done. And you can find our project website by Googling the words Satire, Births, de- Deaths, and Legacies. In any particular order. But it would make sense to do them in the right order. So that's really. a, that's it for this episode. Um, in our next episode, we'll be talking about Satire and the Novel with Dr. Helen Williams from the University of Northumbria. That's right, yeah, and particularly about Tristram Shandy. So do tune in. But for now, goodbye listeners, and stay satirical. God's